Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. conditions apply. See website for details. Just to give you a heads up, one of us is bound to say something not suitable for little ears. It is, after all, the one hour a day I spend away from my children. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, February 25th, the Temperamental Teen Edition. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, who's eight, Oliver, who's six, and Teddy, who's four, and we live in Navarre, Florida. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm a writer at Slate. I'm the author of the book, How to Be a Family. And I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 15, and Harper, who's 13. We live in Arlington, Virginia. And I'm Carmel Wallace, a writer and podcaster in Oakland, California, and I am the father to Georgia, who is 15, and Ezra, who is 17 and will be 18 next week. And the crowd goes wild. (laughs) Carmel, we're so happy for you to pop by. It's amazing. I'm happy to be here. So on today's show, we are going to be talking about how to deal with a teenager who takes everything, even minor corrections, as major criticism. Then I'm going to sit down for a one-on-one interview with Erica McLemore, who is a Creek Seminole educator. We're going to talk about how families can learn about Indigenous people, culture, and honor the Indigenous history of our land. We also have a doozy of a Slate Plus bonus segment for you. Slate's Holly Allen will be stopping by to talk about her disgusting discovery when she went to clean her son's seemingly spotless bathroom. Let's just say that once you hear this story, you will be running for your own cleaning supplies. So, True horror show. Sleep plus segment. <laughs> I am, I'm terrified. Let's start with triumphs and fails. So, Carvel, you first. Do you have a triumph or fail for us this week? Because I'm coming back after a long absence, I can't come with a fail. <laughs> even though there's been, as I have always, all life is triumph and all life is fails. But um, I'm going to talk about a triumph, which is that Ezra is at the end of his high school career. Uh, notice I didn't say he's about to graduate from high school soon because we're not clear on if that's precisely going to happen in this specific way that the Oakland Unified School District had envisioned it, but he'll figure something out. We're, we're happy with that. The pandemic has obviously been hard on everyone in all these different ways. Ezra and Georgia have developed a relationship that is, um, you know, there's really, there's really stuff there. There's a lot of friendship and love and hilarity and stuff, but there's also, um, it's like having a spouse. And so like some of the stuff that they have between them is so intense and her resentment towards him for his big brother stuff is like really bubbling over his resentment towards her so for the way that she's reacted and her younger sibling stuff has really bubbled over. So a lot of times when it's just the three of us, we have the schedule now where I spend some time with one of them. Like I sort of split up our days where it's like one with one of them, one with the other, and then a couple of days with all three of us. But when, when there's all three of us, it always, threatens to turn into some kind of huge fight of some type because they start fighting over typically a political issue. Ezra will say something that he thinks is innocuous. Georgia will immediately take issue with it and then she will just attack him and then he'll sort of get defensive but he won't really be willing to admit where he's wrong and then they'll turn to me and I'll like sort of try to intervene but then who knows where it's going to go. Everyone is struggling 
they're teenagers, they're in pandemic, they're watching a world fall apart. They're very high stress and high stakes. And so sometimes these things can turn into much bigger things than I thought they were going to. And the last time we went to hang out, I don't remember what it was. We were in the car for some reason, and I could see this dynamic unfolding. Ezra made some observation about someone that he was dating. Georgia felt that that was a problematic observation, which, to be fair, it kind of was. And then she immediately, like, she wouldn't even let him finish his story. She just kept, like, throwing these things at him. He then sort of tried to defend himself. And then at one point, they both turned to me and and asked me to intervene. And I had this moment of insight that actually... I don't need to get involved in this. Like I, <laughs> I have my thoughts. I have many thoughts. My thoughts are that Ezra's wrong about this. My thoughts are that Georgia is like struggling with a particular issue that she probably needs help with. My, you know, I had all these thoughts and I just had this sudden insight that none of this is necessary for me to communicate in this moment. My job in this moment is to like help us have good vibes as a family and to have compassion for both of them. I would have said that years ago. I would have always said that, but there was a new level of insight to that. And it I don't know, it's like my purpose became so clear, which was to have compassion for both of these human beings who were struggling in this moment in these ways and to keep the vibe good. And so I like kind of let the conversation sort of piddle out. Then I uh, offered that Ezra could take over the music if he wanted to, which he did. And then the music started playing and then everyone fell into silence and then the subject changed. And then we, you know, we cracked a few jokes and the next thing I knew we were past this moment. And I was like, where was this? Like all these years, well, how come I couldn't have figured out how to do this years ago? You know, all credit to Joe. Like, I think she's been on that for a long time to the point where the kids struggle with her because they find her conflict diverse because they think that she over relies on that strategy, which I don't know if she does or doesn't, but I know that- I don't think you can of- over rely on that strategy. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think part of our parenting dynamic has been the kids recognize that like mom refuses to get involved in anything, but dad like acknowledges that these are important things and we need to get into them. Georgia has told me that she feels that way sometimes. And so I've taken it on as my responsibility to be the person who's gonna get in there and have it be messy and people are gonna get mad but we're going to talk it out, whatever. And that's fine. But there's also, there's such a thing as balance. And I felt like I we had gone over the past few months too far in this direction of the family debating society and far away from just like my role as the adult, which is to just keep the peace and let everyone know that they are loved and accepted and that I have warmth and care for both of them. And that is what I'm here to offer in this cold, cruel, confusing, unpredictable world. And so I was able to at least activate that in one moment and that to me feels like a triumph that's amazing yeah, they have enough adjudicators in their life who, yes like, who needs more <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> well they're also at that age where they are the adjudicators i mean that's the thing i mean the fire of righteousness i'm sure we all remember this when you're adolescent and you first begin learning how fucked up the world is and you start beginning to effectively diagnose what's wrong with everyone you're just so amped up on your own sense of righteousness and justification so uh they're, they're really on fire with that and it's a beautiful thing to witness but it has changed a little bit what my my role is in that dynamic now that you know because that, now that's their job my job is no longer to explain to them what's wrong or to help them think critically about stuff my job is shifted into some other kind of caretaking role which i really appreciate i like also that you threw them off balance by pulling from a different you know tool bag like here they were expecting mm-hmm. one outcome for you and you just gave them the other right <laughs> yeah. like, that is yeah. like so effective <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I just got to keep those kids off balance. That's right. They never need they never should know where the next punch is coming from. 
Uh, well, Dan, how about you? Do you have a triumph or fail for us this week? I also have a triumph this week. My triumph is inspired by beloved former mom and dad are fighting co-host Gabe Roth. Rest mm. in peace. Uh, so last week, Gabe <laughs> tweeted something about Guys, how- Gabe is not dead. I just want everyone to know that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, they understand. He's only dead to us. So last week, Gabe <laughs> tweeted something about how he was having a really hard time remembering all the words to I am the very model of a modern major general because he was preparing for family <laughs> talent show. <laughs> and I thought, oh, family talent show. Our weekends have been a little snoozy recently because it's been cold and there's been snow and ice on the ground. And it's just been a lot of like watching movies and everyone on their devices and we play some wingspan and then that's it. The weekend's gone. And like, that's nice. But I thought it might be fun to like perk things up a little. So on Friday, I announced we're having a family talent show on Sunday night and everyone has to prepare an act and God bless my children. You know, they're 13 and 15. It would have been really easy for them, for either of them to be like, fuck you. I'm not doing that corny shit, (laughs) but they didn't. They both bought in and they each prepared an act and the whole thing was totally great on Sunday night. I mean, we were all bad, but the point was we all really had a good time and we all really enjoyed seeing what everyone else had come up with. Like, uh, I put on suspenders and like a newsboy cap and I sang, uh, when I grow up from Matilda and then <laughs> Alia sewed puppet versions of Paula Abdul and MC scat cat. And she yes. had them lip sync opposites attract. And, yes. uh, Lyra sang a Jonathan Coulton song, skull crusher mountain. And Harper did this whole, like very funny mime routine <laughs> That she, I assume she saw on TikTok or YouTube or something, but she just like, it included an audience volunteer and a bunch of improv and it was like legitimately very funny. Anyway, it was great. Family talent show. Thanks Gabe for the idea. I really recommend it for some weekend where on Friday at six, you're like, oh, we don't have, we don't have anything. There's nothing to look forward to. This is a thing to look forward to. If you think your kids will buy into something like that. I love love that. That's the point at the pandemic we're in, family talent show. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Mark this one. Well, I also have a, just like, this is where we are in the pandemic-related success. My kids are lonely, and I remind them all the time, like, oh, we're so lucky that there's all three, you know, there's three of us, yay. So they have been begging to have, like, a sleepover, which is a bizarre thing to ask for because they share a room. Um, Mm -hmm. But they are just like, we want to have a sleepover, we want to have a sleepover. So um, last night I was just like, okay, sure. I don't even know what that looks like. It basically came out that what that means is that I would like help them brush their teeth and then put them in their room and shut the door and be not involved at all with bedtime, which is not like, typically I'm a pretty like scheduled person. Jeff's flying a lot um, now, so he's not home at bedtime. So I'm, I'm like you know, want everybody to be asleep as soon as possible so that I have the, the time for me. I read a story, a couple kids fall asleep. Anyway, last night, brushed teeth, put them in their room, <laughs> shut the door. About 30 minutes later, Teddy came, the little one came running out, crying. You know, he's too scared for a sleepover. Again, inexplicable. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was like, Okay, you can sleep in here. So he gets in our bed, immediately falls asleep. And then then it's just like quiet in the boys' room. And I just made the decision, 
I don't know what's going on in there, but does it matter? Like my goal at night is to have as much time for myself as possible to get things done, you know, do the things I need to do, maybe watch some TV or do some crafts or whatever. I don't care. So about 1030, I poke my head in there. The room is a total disaster. They've pulled out the trundle bed. Mattresses are askew. But both of the big boys are in Oliver's bed. Henry, like on top of Oliver, like like spooning, you know, leg over each other. And they are just out cold. And this morning they woke up. They said it was the best night ever. I was like, okay, well, post sleepover, we have to we have to clean up the sleepover mess. And everyone was like, oh, yeah, that's the sleepover rule. And we (laughs) cleaned up and went on our way. So I'm awarding myself a success for just against my better judgment being like, sure, whatever. We can have a sleepover. Great job embracing the nonsense. Yeah, but it worked out. As necessary. (laughs) Yeah. That is such a great example of human beings' capacity to just imagine a structure and then behave as though it's real, and then how effective that is. I mean, obviously, that's what society is, but it's kind of cool to see a little Petri dish version of it happening inside the bedroom, where it's just, we've imagined this new context for the same thing that we always do, and thus the behaviors are all different. Yeah. It's very inspirational. Later when they're like, well, why why does money work? Why do people believe in yeah. money? You can be like, remember <laughs> your sleepover? Remember the time you had to sleep over <laughs> yes. in the same room you sleep in every night? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, well, there we are. Okay, so on that note, we are moving on to the business. Slate podcast listeners, help us make a better slate by answering our survey. It only takes a few minutes and you can find it at slate.com slash survey. If you haven't already, check out Jamila's new Slate Live show, Wild and Wise. She's hosting it with her best friend, William Bryant Miles. Every Wednesday evening, they talk about race, sex, identity, and modern life with wit and wisdom. It goes live at 8 p.m. Eastern time. If you don't want to wait until next week, you can catch the first few episodes right now by going to Slate's Facebook or YouTube pages, or just visit slate.com slash live. In Slate Plus, you're not going to want to miss Holly sharing her new tool in her cleaning arsenal. Here's a little bit of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. Then my mom put me in the bathroom, closed the door, and turned off the light and said I couldn't come out until she didn't see anything. (laughs) (laughs) To hear segments like that and get ad-free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast, bonus episodes of shows like Slow Burn and Dear Prudence, and you'll be supporting the work we do right here on Mom and Dad Are Fighting. It's only $1 for the first month, so to sign up, go to slate.com slash momanddadplus. If you want to be notified about all the Slate parenting things, you need to sign up for Slate's parenting newsletter. Besides getting all of Slate's great parenting content in one place, including Mom and Dad are Fighting, Ask a Teacher, Karen Feeding, and much more, it's just a fun story from Dan directly into your inbox each week. So sign up for that at slate.com slash parenting email. Finally, if you want to connect with other Slate parents, join our parenting group on Facebook. It's super active and moderated, so if anyone's a jerk, they're out. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook and answer the questions. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, let's hear this week's listener question, which will be voiced by the dulcet tones of Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad, 
My 14-year-old is driving me nuts lately. He can't seem to deal even with the tiniest criticism or correction. It's just all about how it hurts his feelings. I'm like, dude, I just want you to stop slamming the bathroom door in the middle of the night. I don't think I'm being played. He seems legitimately upset and hurt. But also, Jesus Christ, he has to learn how to live with other people and that not everything's only about him. Any advice? I'm going to kick this off uh, by offering not advice, but commiseration, because this letter writer's dilemma is is exactly what we face in our household with Harper, particularly Lyra has no problem taking constructive criticism or being asked to do things or being told that the way she did something was maybe not right or not the best way to do it. She has no problem with that. I don't know why. Harper, on the other hand, has just always been very convinced that her way is the right way and that no matter how gently a criticism is delivered, she receives it as a personal attack. This came up a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about how difficult a time I have helping her with homework, um, but it manifests in all different kinds of situations in the house, much like this letter writer describes. It's like, I am delivering what seems like a totally normal, non-personal thing, like, you know, when you when you eat lunch, you need to do the dishes, okay, before you go back to school. And she receives that essentially as you suck and I hate you. Mm. And she is just so clearly upset and hurt. Like it's not an act. She is very clearly upset and hurt each time something like this happens. And it, it it's very upsetting to her. And it means that we are constantly walking on eggshells. Mm. Um, and I'm intrigued by this letter writer's sort of diagnosis of this as being about learning how to live with other people and that not everything is only about you. And I, I don't know if that's what's behind what causes Harper to respond this way, but it's an interesting angle to think about it. So I would love to hear from both of you, your thoughts on this question, both on what causes this and what are some techniques that you might try to remedy it in a situation like this letter writer and I are in. Yeah. I also can commiserate. This was and is, although less so, and that's kind of the point I'm going to make here, this was definitely our experience with Ezra, for sure. I would say this happened in other ways with Georgia, but it wasn't around doing stuff correctly kind of things, because she has always found uh, doing things the approved way to be a method of navigating the world, right? Mm-hmm. So if you say to her, just, you know, do the dishes or clean up or just make sure you don't miss a spot, then her mind goes, I should do that. That way I will have more freedom and power in the world, which is her strategy. My, uh, our, Ezra's was not that way as a, as a, especially in early adolescence, it was incredibly difficult. And I do like the letter writer said, I thought that was an interesting sentence that, that the letter writer believes the tears are genuine. That was the thing that struck me. I wanted to dismiss it. Oh, you're, just being absurd. All I'm doing is asking a normal thing. What is all this? That was what my instinct was, but it didn't match up with what I saw when I looked at him, which is that he felt genuinely hurt in some way, shape or form. So I think to talk about where it comes from, um, I don't know. And I kind of don't think it super duper matters. Actually, there's hormones. Kids are under a lot of stress. It's a confusing time. It's confusing to be an adult. It's blah, blah, blah. And so what I think is happening is that kids are hearing you're wrong. 
not you did this thing in a way that isn't what I wanted. And sometimes that's because that's kind of what we're saying without realizing it. I was thinking about this question last night and I was remembering when I, when it dawned on me that there's a difference between, can you please, you know, pick up your clothes from the living room and you never pick up your clothes in the living room. Those are two different things. And as much as we can quickly say, just toss one or the other sentence out while we're in the middle of doing other things without realizing the difference, for a kid, they're completely opposite things. One says, can you do this thing? The other says, you're a problem. Like you specifically, the way you are is a problem because you're not doing this thing. It is taking me a long time for me to recognize the difference between those two and to see how often I actually do sort of communicate. I'm generally frustrated with your whole way of being in this moment. And today it's the dishes or in this moment, it's like the bathroom door or whatever. But my overall feeling is that I'm frustrated with the way that you are. And that's what I think Ezra was responding to. And I think that's what a lot of kids are responding to, which is, it seems like you are telling me that I'm wrong. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to capitulate to everything they say. It just means that they're still looking for approval from us because they're children and we're adults. At the same time, combined with that effort is this other thing that happens in adolescence where they start needing to push away from us and reject the size of our voice inside their heads. It's not even our fault. We just have these huge voices that take up all the space in their brains and they can't escape it and they want to escape it. And that is the battle of adolescence. Especially now, I imagine. Especially now when we're all <laughs> cooped up together. And so that's where I think it comes from. Now, what I think can be done about it um, there are a couple things. Number one is I think I had to learn to be quite specific with language to say, do you mind doing this thing? Can you do this thing? I would like it if you did this thing. Here's how it would be helpful if you did this thing. Very specific asks as opposed to making sweeping generalizations about who they are and how annoying they are. I've learned the older they get that it's way less effective to launch into these larger lessons about when you go out into the world, you're going to need to learn and da, 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 and the people and they're not going to, you know, like that thing I'm speaking from as a parent of 15 and, and almost 18 year olds. It's over for that. That is no longer a, a parenting um, tool that I have is to lecture them about what's going to happen to them in the future without them asking. And that's the thing is they didn't ask in that moment. There are times when they ask me, dad, what do you think about this? What's going to happen? I'm worried about this. Can we talk about it? But when we're discussing how to effectively dry the dishes, they're not asking for that. So <laughs> the only question is like, what is my ask of them? My ask is that, can you make sure the dishes are hundred percent dry before you put them away? Period. That's the ask. The second thing I have to do is accept that they're not always going to do it because they're kids and their brains aren't fully developed. So I can ask it and then they don't do it. Them not doing it isn't necessarily a sign that they hate me. They don't respect me. They're never going to learn how to be good people. They're, they're ruined. They're never going to have healthy relationships. It's a sign that they're kids and they just missed it. And so I'm going to ask again. <laughs> That's it. That's all I'm going to do. It's not a moral thing. They're not bad people. I'm just going to ask them again. Can you please remember? Maybe the third time I might suggest this is the third time I've, I've, I've had to ask you. It's frustrating. But even then, I'm framing it in terms of why it's difficult for me and how I'm asking for their help. All of this is about me making clear what my needs are and asking if they can help me in meeting them, period. I try to stay away from the morality stuff, which is hard. I think that's such great advice. I was definitely this kid. Like, mm. I took everything very 
just to heart. And to the point at which, like, even thinking back, I can remember, like, my eyes welling up and me having, like, almost no feeling as to why it was happening, just that, like, I was taking this so personally. And mm. Carvel, I really relate to the fact that it was it was just life that took that away from me. Like, for me, it was, like, this very moment in law school where I was just like, oh, this is the kind of feedback I'm going to get. Like, I had already had a job at that point, too, but I had been able to just meet people's expectations and all of law school was about feedback being given in a way that is like, we're only going to tell you the things you did wrong. And that experience was just like, well, this teacher, this professor, this student, they don't hate me. They're just trying to make me better. And I'm not sure that you as a parent can get your child to that moment because, you know, the letter writer says, like, how do I teach them that it's not all about them? It's like, well, for teens, it is all about them. (laughs) I don't know that they have the capacity to see that until they go out in the world and there are consequences, you know, whatever those are to make those changes. The other thing I was going to say is that right now, Ezra is 18 years old, basically, effectively. He's got a job. Like, he has a real live job in the world. He's an employed working person. When he goes to his work, his bosses give him the same feedback that we've been giving him for the last decade or so. You didn't put this away properly. I asked you to fold up the boxes. You didn't fold up the boxes. Unsurprisingly, he doesn't throw tantrums at work. Wow. I know. That's so amazing. Why doesn't he throw tantrums at work? (laughs) But the reason I'm saying that is because there is a certain amount of just time and the world that will help teach what your kids aren't learning from you. You're laying the foundation, but you can't make yourself responsible for completing and cementing the lesson. It's not within your power. And nothing is more frustrating than trying to have power over something you don't have power over. You cannot finalize a lesson. Most of these lessons for kids, the world will have to do that. Time will have to do that. So um, that I think a lot of times that frustration of trying to do that is what makes us lash out and maybe say more hurtful things, you know, get a little sloppy with our language in a way that triggers this, especially in sensitive kids. So the third thing I would require or ask is patience. You know, it's just patience. Like it's going to come around. The amount of times Ezra has said to me since he got this job, some variation of, quote, dad, you used to always tell me this and I thought you were being annoying, but now I see that you're right. It's a lot that he's doing that. And I don't even, I almost don't even want to, yeah, I don't even want to admit it because it sounds (laughs) like I'm making it up, but it's true. He does that like once a week. Dad, I I mean, one time he was like, I don't know, dad, I I think I just thought you were just being an asshole, but now I realize like you actually, (laughs) 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 you actually like were trying to look out for me. I'm just like, yeah, I I was. Thanks. Um, (laughs) But I feel uh, like you are sexting us right now. I can't promise it'll happen with your child. I can just say that that's part of what happened with mine. Um, and it, I think it had everything to do with him having a job and having to get that feedback from other people, not to mention dating and being in relationships. When, you know, kids, they go out, they start getting the same feedback from other people that they've been getting from you, and it starts to make a little more sense. They can hear it from you. So I would counsel to be careful with your language, um, to not take it personally that they're not doing stuff the way that you ask because there are other reasons for it. And finally, to give it a little bit of time because there's more happening than you're in charge of. I really love your advice about about patience. I also f- sort of looked at this. So our child that has pandas, the neurological disorder, um, it has a lot to do with your fight or flight response. Mm. And from what I understand, that is also going off a lot in teens. And the thing that calms that down is oxytocin. And the way mm. you can give your child oxytocin is by connection. 
And so if in those moments you can find a way to connect with them that has nothing to do with the thing that is annoying you, um, that's the best thing you can do. And I don't have team mm, boys, so I don't right. know how you find that connection right. with them. But if you can find a way, if that's even channeling that to give them some kind of compliment about something else or just saying, I see you and I see your frustration and trying to let the door slamming go, because is that the hill you want to die on? Your child is clearly having a hard time. We are all having a hard time. Is this the moment to stop the door slamming? Because he's likely not going to be slamming the door as an, like at some point, some other person in his life is going to be like, you can't slam the door in the middle of the night. And they're going to be like, oh, well, <laughs> you know, but is that, is this going to be the moment in which that happens? Probably not. I also th- just think the more time in this moment that you do have that you can spend letting your child know that that this is a place where they are safe and they are loved, even when they don't do these things. And I think, Carvel, you gave wonderful examples of how to do that. The language in which you use to ask these things to be done, inviting children to do the things with you. My mom and I would have epic fights about these sort of chores and stuff, and my father would always just invite me to do it with him. Like, hey, can I help you do these dishes, um, you know, so that we can help your, you know, help with the activities your mom takes care of or things like that. If you can invite your child to be part of it so that you're not necessarily saying like, well, you didn't dry these dishes all the way, but you are then kind of showing them like we dry the dishes all the way without (laughs) saying it. Like, I'm going to stand here with you and dry it and put it away. Even if you're like taking the dish from them and wiping the few things they missed and putting it back, that can be a way to turn that frustration into some kind of bonding. But again, I don't have tea. I mean, I'm, (laughs) I know this is in my future. (laughs) You know, I wish it was this easy. I'm sure it's not. I was a terrible teenager. I was just an emotional mess. And I wasn't a teen during a pandemic where all of those other sources and outlets of my friends and going out, you know, weren't on the table. Yeah. Elizabeth, you totally were a Harper, that description of just the tears welling up and you don't even know why they're there. That's I'm Harper. sure I will. You know, I relate to Harper. Right. <laughs> so to a T. Uh, I think I'm going to try and like pursue like a middle ground. Like I do think, <laughs> I do think at some point you do have to be like, I'm sorry. I know it is a difficult time, but you may not slam the bathroom door in the middle of the night. And even if you convey that as nicely as possible over and over again, like I do think it's okay to sometimes draw those lines because like you can't, you just cannot have that in at this time in your life. But this idea that the job right now is to give very specific tasks to model how to accomplish those tasks and to convey that through precise language that doesn't accidentally convey, I'm annoyed at your whole deal. Mm. That seems crucial. And to allow kids the time to let all the other things that will eventually return to their lives reinforce the very simple lessons you're trying to deliver as opposed to you trying to make big picture proclamations also seems incredibly useful. And I'm going to try to institute both of those. So thank you. Yeah. Well, one thing that I want to add to the hard thing about kids is that you don't know how much they might be trying not to slam the bathroom door. They just forget because they're kids. And I think sometimes we have a tendency as parents to treat these kinds of like, misbehaviors as intentional like you know you're not supposed to and you still did which is one kind of response 
but often with kids, it's like they're you say don't do the bathroom door, and they're kind of like a part of them's like I don't want to do it. That's okay. Like I'm going to try and get it right. But then it's seven hours later, and they're closing the door, and they just forget. It just happens automatically. They're not aware of their impact, and so I think in those situations, it's like I think that is what was hard with when Ezra was in his middle teens was he was actually trying to do the right stuff. He just would forget or be unable to or drop the ball or whatever. And so my frustration, I was treating him like someone who was actively sort of like trying to overthrow my power, which, you know, that's, that's never good. And so I think that his response is like, a f in some cases, the frustration might be a sense of helplessness. Like, fuck, like I really, ah, like I forgot. I hate this whole thing. I hate you for putting this there. I hate, you know what I mean? I just hate this whole situation. There's a lot of fucking broiling inside them <laughs> at this age, you know? And then if you're in this cycle of like the only feedback you're giving your child is like, why can't you that remember to do true. this? And they're like, I'm trying, but I just don't remember. You know, I think we can all fall into that. It's like, I fall into it with my four-year-old, which is, I mean, I fall into nine. it with myself. I mean, I'm like, <laughs> why didn't you hit your yeah. word count today? Then I'm like, but I tried to hit my workout. I'm like, you suck. You know what I mean? This is what I do yeah. to myself. It's like, you know, and I'm a grown ass man and I can barely deal with my own shit. Yeah. I just, I, I hate to be a 15 year old trying to deal with that. So, you know, I just, I think that if you have to make a mistake here, I think erring on the side of patience is probably better than erring on the side of strong armory. That's why I'm so grateful when Rosie gives me clear, concise instructions on how to set up my mic instead of being like, Dan, you fucked up your mic again. <laughs> <laughs> well, letter writer, good luck and please send us an update. Dan, we expect an update for you too on your new um, approach of patience with our. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you have a question for us, email us at slate.com or do what this listener did and post it on the Slate Parenting Facebook group. Well, Erica, we are so excited to have you on the show. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with Erica's work, she teaches parents and kids directly how to learn about Native peoples and honor the Indigenous history of our land. So, Erica, before we dive in, can you give us a little more about yourself and how you got started with this work? Yeah, I would love to. So my name is Erica McLemore. I'm Native American. Very specifically, I'm Creek Seminole. So that means I am both Muscogee Creek and a citizen of the Seminole Nation of Oklahoma. So I'm a mom to three kiddos. My youngest just turned six and my boys are seven and nine years old. We live in the central Texas area and I work for an outdoor organization called Tinker Garden. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on to have this conversation is because a lot of parents have work to do when it comes to teaching their kids about indigenous cultures and histories. And I'm definitely one of those. And due kind of to the country's ongoing <laughs> racist history and ignorance and privilege and many other factors, parents have the responsibility to reframe and correct what they've been taught. And so before I go any further, I want to acknowledge that it's our job to do this work and that the onus shouldn't be on Indigenous individuals to do this education. So we're extremely lucky that you create and share so much information on social media and with parents and teachers that, you know, those of us looking for information can can benefit from. It seems like the first step to educate ourselves is kind of using the correct language, right? 
Yes, definitely. And there are so many terms, and it's not everybody agrees. So it's one of those situations where we always do the best we can, and we are always striving to learn, even myself as a Native person. That's work for me to do, too. So when I introduced myself, I said, I'm Erica, and I'm Creek Seminole. And then I went on and clarified a little bit more, and I might do that in a more formal context and say, that means I am both Muscogee Creek and a citizen of the Seminole Nation of Oklahoma. So if you know someone's specific tribal affiliations, those are always wonderful to use. It's very specific and it speaks to who they are. But here in the U.S., it's also common to hear broader terms like Native, Native American, Indigenous Peoples, or even Indian and American Indian. Those ones are a little trickier because we, I think many people who grew up in maybe the 80s or later were taught, you know, we shouldn't say Indian. That was based in misinformation and racism that caused a lot of harm. And that is true. So for some people, the term Indian or American Indian is painful um, and it's, it's offensive. But to others, it's actually an important part of their identity and is the term that they use. Most of my family actually does use Indian so I, I myself use Native or Native American if I'm having a conversation and just out of nowhere, I want to say yeah. something. I say Native American. <laughs> um, but if we're already having conversation within the context of Indigenous people, I, I just use Native. I will do my best to use as many of these terms interchangeably and in inclusive ways if possible. But like I said, even as a Native person, I'm always learning, always growing, and even language and culture evolves. So Warrior Kids Podcast is actually a wonderful resource, and they have an entire episode on this that is framed for kids. It's fantastic. It's hosted by Dr. Pam Palmiter. She's a Mi'kmaq citizen and a member of the Eel River Bar First Nation in present-day Canada. So episode two of Warrior Kids Podcast is called What is Indigenous Identity? And it goes over all of these terms, what they mean, goes into the fact that, you know, not everybody agrees, but here's how you can speak about people, and we're just all doing our best. That's an amazing resource, because for me in particular, if I'm going to teach my kids, it's like, and I hit this point of like, well, what even is the language I'm supposed to be using? It can be hard to get over that, to be able to have these conversations. And I think kids pick up so much on your hesitancy as the parent, right? To say like, well, clearly we're talking about something, you know, because mom seems like uncomfortable. And so I, I love that you've brought up a kid show and it's also really great for parents to listen to and kind of say, okay, this is the kind of language I can use and understanding why it's complicated. I've learned so much like from your Instagram and from our conversations, but one of the things that I was really eye-opening for me is the time you dedicate to focusing on the language of Native peoples in the present and how often like we speak about them in the past, but like the tribes and these peoples are are here and they're part of our culture and they're part of the the world and community you're in now. Can you talk about that importance? Yeah, it is so important to do that. And I want to say I've done this as a parent myself with my own kids. It's very easy to slip into a long, long time ago or talk about history. And that is important, too. It's really it's interesting. It's important to have those conversations and give that historical context. But we really need to balance it with, and by the way, we are still here. There are so many different nations of people. They're, they're around. There's a vibrant culture, and that's great to learn about, too. So talking about this, there's a lot of different ways you can have these conversations, but it's important because we don't want to be contributing to the further erasure of Native people. 
And a big thing, like you said, that I encourage parents, educators, and caregivers to think about is keeping Native people in the present. We're still very much here. It's easy for our language and explanations to use that past tense or speak in terms of a long, long time ago. So whenever possible, it's great to show children photos, books, or even videos of contemporary culture, ideally people who live or historically lived close to you. It gives kids a lot of real-world context for this land that I play on, I live on, I explore. It historically has been someone else's land, so we can learn learn about that and learn to appreciate those people, those original caretakers of this land. For even little, little kids, we can start to plant these seeds and use simple words and specific names when we explain it. Something that I've advised parents to try saying is explaining it that Native people today and all of their family and ancestors before them have always lived here on the land where our country is built. The Tongawa tribe is from the land where we live. Erica, do you have a good resource that people can use to find out whose ancestral land they're living on? Yes. So that is a great starting place, knowing whose land you're on. So if you are someone who is just getting started, this is brand new information. The website is native-land.ca. It's run by a nonprofit organization, Native Land Digital, and it allows you to type in your zip code or your city name and find out which indigenous people live or historically lived in your area. So this is a place to begin to learn about the land you live on if you're not already familiar with this part of its history. And I left when I was there, it also kind of guides you to some other websites once you find out whose land you are on to kind of start that research and conversation, which I thought was amazing. So much of the work you do is kind of based on this land acknowledgement and really understanding the importance of the land we're on. So can you talk a little bit about how you integrate like parenting and play into that? I would love to talk about that. <laughs> so this actually isn't something that I was have always done. So last year on the, the heels of the murder of George Floyd, and this became a much bigger conversation at a national and global level, there was another incident where Christian Cooper was birdwatching in Central Park, and he had the police called on him. I was cruising Instagram, came across a few hashtags for something called Black Birders Week, and there was a a huge conversation about people of color, specifically in the outdoor industry. Getting to learn and see from these Black educators and scientists and activists in the outdoor industry was really inspiring for me because, like I said, I do work in the outdoor industry. And as I was learning more about this from the work that I'm doing with my own family in terms of anti-racism and that sort of parenting, I found a community of people who are Indigenous and Native activists who are also talking about how there is a lack of representation there in the outdoor industry. And I had that light bulb moment that, wait a minute, I work in the outdoor industry. I work at a major brand and I do have a seat at the table that comes with a lot of privilege. And I thought, well, how can I use this? Something that we have done is, so in January, we kicked off a new series of classes and every single Tinker Garden leader across the country, we have hundreds of classes running, kicked off their series of classes with a land acknowledgement. And they talked about it with all of these kids, and we provided resources for families to better understand what even is this? What are you talking about? Why does it matter? And how do I get my kids to care about this? Okay, so Erica, for listeners that might not know what a land acknowledgement is, can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, so a land acknowledgement in its most simple form 
honors the first inhabitants of this land, the indigenous original caretakers. So it's a way to formally recognize and acknowledge whose land it is. A lot of ceremonies kick off this way. If you watched the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade this year, they actually kicked it off with a land acknowledgement and they invited the Wampanoag tribe to give a blessing in their, their language. A very simple way to do it is to just kick off and say, we humbly remember that we are on the land of the, and you insert the name, people. It can be uncomfortable and painful sometimes for Native and non-Natives alike to be reminded that the U.S. is, it's built on stolen land. I know that's uncomfortable, but it is a way to acknowledge that. And we can't change the past, but we can look forward and make sure that we are doing our best to approach it with eyes of healing. Do you have kind of some examples of the type of outdoor activities that parents can be doing to integrate what they've learned? Yeah, and I would say that's a great thing to just have an ongoing conversation about. You don't necessarily have to have the conversation every single time you get outside. Sometimes I do. (laughs) Erica can ruin anything. (laughs) But it is nice if you're on a family hike and it's something that you can look up or even when you're traveling to know, hey, this beautiful land, this is the traditional home of the whatever tribe and maybe share a few facts about them. But you can also take it further on your adventures, especially if it's a place that you're spending a lot of time in or you visit often and start to learn about which plants may be native to that area? And then what significance do they hold or historically did they hold to the native people? Um, You do sometimes have to have these conversations with a little bit of sensitivity because native people were forcibly relocated. So for instance, in my area, the Tonkawa tribe does not live here anymore. They were relocated to present day Oklahoma. So that that is a conversation we have um, with my children at age appropriate levels, but they do know that they've been exposed to that, but we can still learn about the land we're exploring and how that tribe used the land and the resources and what do they still do. As you say, our exploration of this led to a discussion about the Trail of Tears and where um, tribes that were here ended up, but it was in such a, it was in the moment in a way that I think sinks into them more than if it's just presented as a standalone lesson. Like being outdoors makes having these conversations more like resonant. Exactly. And I think when kids can see it and they can touch it, they have this really clear memory that they can dig into and think back on. And then you can wonder together about those kinds of things. And they really will lead the way. They'll ask fantastic <laughs> questions um, as you wonder together. And it's it's great to model and say, you know what? That's a great question. I can't wait to dig in and learn more. I need to learn more about that too. And I do that with my own children. We're not from this area. We've lived here for about two years in the Austin suburbs. So the Tongwa tribe is new learning for me too. So it's something we are doing hand in hand. Erica, I think one of the other kind of sticking points is how to deal with some sacred items that at different points in American history became appropriated, things like dream catchers and teepees. And I think in a lot of schools and even in a lot of, you know, curriculums, it was like, okay, we're studying Native peoples, let's make these things, even though they're sacred items. And so do you have any advice for parents looking on how to teach about these things in a respectful way? Yeah, that is a big question. The million dollar question. How do we do this? What's respectful? Um, and I do think some of those projects do have a lot of 
benefits. You know, if there's something hands-on that children can do, it really helps them learn and understand better. But there are also things that, well, they kind of border on taking from a culture. There's a podcaster that I love. Her name is Adrienne Keene. She is Cherokee, and we'll link it in the show notes so you can check out her blog. And she just goes really in-depth into all of these kinds of topics. So this is an area where I'm also learning more, and I love that as a resource. That's awesome. So a good place for parents to start and then um, learn more, and then they can make those decisions, you know, based on all that information. I think that's lovely. Erica, one of my absolute favorite things you do is the books that you list on your Instagram and show. Do you want to share some of your favorite resources? Definitely. So again, you can find me on Instagram at sitbymyfire. I have written a few articles for Tinker Garden, blog posts about books you can find. And we very specifically were sourcing books that were written in authors' own voices. So they are written by Indigenous people. They feature Indigenous characters. They're lovely. I do have some that are my favorites. There are many. Um, Cynthia Lydic-Smith, she wrote a book called Jingle Dancer. It's lovely, but Cynthia actually just became the head of a Native-focused imprint of HarperCollins Children's Books. It's called Heart Drum. And so they are releasing so many more books in the coming years about this. So Cynthia Lydic-Smith is amazing. I love her work. And she is leading other people to be able to publish and have access to more amazing literature. Tracy Sorrell is a Cherokee author. She wrote a book called We Are Grateful, Ojali Halaga. That's the Cherokee word for We Are Grateful. And it goes through all four seasons with children. It has these beautiful illustrations and talks about what they are grateful for in each season. But it also brings in aspects of Cherokee culture in a contemporary way that children can see these are people of today that have this beautiful and rich culture. So Tracy Sorrell is one of my favorites. She actually has two new books that are coming out. One comes out in early March of 2021. It's called We Are Still Here, Native American Truths Everyone Should Know. And she has another book coming out that is about someone called Mary Gilda Ross. Mary Gilda Ross is remembered and thought of as the first female indigenous engineer. And she was the first female engineer employed by Lockheed. She was hired as a mathematician in the 1940s. And she did a lot of work on air and spacecraft classified work. She co-authored NASA's Planetary Flight Handbook about traveling to other planets. A lot of it's still classified today. So she's just a really interesting hidden figure. And Tracy Sorrell is doing amazing work, making this accessible and engaging and exciting for kids to learn more. The books that you recommend um, so often are illustrated by someone either of the same culture or also indigenous. And so the it's like you get a double you know, whammy with the book because you also get introduced to the styles of art from a particular tribe. We do a lot of art studies. My kids are very, that's something that they can very much like attach to. And we can look at, you know, differences of the use of color and, and all of that. So I, I love when you post the pictures. Um, I'm always like drawn in also by just the different styles that you get to see and the feelings that those give you. They are lovely. And that's also very meaningful for me. My grandfather is a native artist. And so as um, so are some of my uncles. So being able to see these artists uplifted and have their work seen on such a wide scale and so appreciated is beautiful. And I think you also have some podcast recommendations. We're big fans of podcasts, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, I do. So for adults, there is one called All My Relations. I love it. It's hosted by 
Matika Wilbur, who is Swinomish and Tulalip, and Adrian Keene. I referenced her earlier. She is Cherokee. And each episode of this podcast invites guests to go deeper into a different topic facing Native peoples today. Um, they keep it real. They're pretty funny. They laugh a lot, but they cover everything from food sovereignty to mascots to they have guests on who spoke about the real story of Thanksgiving, just all of those different things. And they bring in experts so you can hear this from people who are experts. They are doing this work. They are educators. And I have learned so, so much from that podcast. So that is a wonderful one for adults. If you are curious about how do I even learn more? Like, I know I need to care about these issues, but what are they? How do I find the information? That is a great starting place. And there's also something very similar for children. It's the Warrior Kids podcast that I referenced earlier, um, hosted by Dr. Pam Palmiter. And she does a different topic every single week, too. And she gives kids activities to do. There are coloring sheets. It's very hands-on. It's, it's a lot of fun. We've been doing the Warrior Kids since you suggested it. And and what I love is that because it kind of comes out weekly and it's part of our rotation, it helps, I think, normalize the conversation and integrate it just into the things we're learning about. Like, it's no different than the science podcast we listen to in so many ways in that we're just taking in this new information and learning about new things and making that part of the, you know, you know, the things in the world that we're trying to learn about. And I, I think that's such a, again, an easy thing that you can do um, that has a huge impact. Erica, I am just... Thank you for taking the time to join us today. Erica and I actually know each other from Colorado. We were in a mother's workout group together. We briefly overlapped and then it has been such a joy to like reconnect with you over social media and just we've had some really great conversations I feel like about things and I'm so glad that you were able to come on and be so willing to share so much information. So I do want to make sure one more time where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at sit by my fire. Thank you so much for having me. This has been lovely. I, I loved getting to share and getting to reconnect. Yeah. <laughs> Erica, just a thousand thanks for taking the time for us today. Okay, on to recommendations. Dan, you first. What do you have for us? I am recommending a cookbook. It's called East. It's by Mira Soda. A sort of big cookbook that came out last year that ended up on a bunch of end-of-year lists. And so I bought it on Saturday, and I have cooked something from it every single night since then. And wow. every single thing I cooked has been a just a huge hit. It's called Easton. It's a collection of vegan and vegetarian recipes from across Asia. So far, I've made a Brussels sprouts nasi goreng, which like an Indonesian fried rice, a uh, paneer sag with kale, so like an Indian sag with Indian cheese. I made some scallion and ginger noodles. I made this these adorable, incredible mushroom bao. And just everything has been great and fun. And most of the recipes are like totally suitable for like a weeknight dinner. There's like 20 more things in the cookbook that I'm really excited about cooking. It's really great. Can't recommend it enough. East by Mira Soda, S-O-D-H-A. I'm going to have to check that out because we're, you know, our new dietary restrictions. This feels like it might. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of great stuff for that. Stuff. I think. Yeah. 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 Um, Carvel, how about you? What do you have for us? We have had a Nintendo revival in our house um, of late, which has actually been great. There's two versions of it. One is that I got a Switch for my apartment, um, and so Mario Kart 8 has become the family obsession. Um, and first they were destroying me and making fun of me, which I took 
way more personally than I should have. <laughs> yeah. And then when they weren't there, I was practicing and now they can't beat me, which also doesn't feel good. So I need to find a middle ground <laughs> somewhere. I think I might take off auto steering. But um, Ezra- You left out uh, auto steering. <laughs> oh man. We, we're, we're an auto steering family right now because we go I with 200 see. cc's. We're all auto steering, but I think it's time for me to push us into the non-auto steering. I mean, to be clear, auto steering doesn't steer for you. It just keeps you from going off yeah, the road. Yeah. I just want to clarify that. <laughs> without that auto gonna... steering, I go off the edge of Rainbow Road <laughs> with auto steering. Yes, yes. Rainbow Road is an absolute nightmare without yeah, auto steering. Especially hey, you can't do it. But um, Ezra decided uh, around Christmas time that he was going to take his cash money from his job, all of his millions of ducats from his retail thing, and buy um, a Nintendo Wii for the house. Yeah, taking it back because he was having like flashbacks to all the like tennis and bing bong. And so we're playing Mario Kart Nintendo Wii, which doesn't have auto steering as an option. And Georgia is killing both of us on that. She destroys (laughs) us and she loves that. (laughs) And, um, but it's just been great fun. It's like, so like Nintendo has come back. I mean, I know that this is what they do. They make stuff for the family and yet it works. And so I'm not even getting any money to say it. You can find a Nintendo Wii online for like 50 bucks because no one wants them anymore. And they're still great fun, um, even for teenagers um, and especially for little kids. So we got a Wii recently, actually, from everyone raving about it here. And I agree that for all ages, it's been just like a great family. Yeah. Game, These are so incredible recommendations from 2014. I love Thank it. you. <laughs> no, but like, bring it, do it now. Now's the time, right? <laughs> Elizabeth, what about you? Um, well, I just have a really cheesy recommendation because I think that's kind of where we are in the pandemic where we just like can't anymore and we don't want to connect and um, <laughs> we just don't have the energy and life is just completely overwhelming. So I would just like everyone to reach out to one person this week and say something nice, even if that's just like an influencer that you're following or someone in your family or something like that, but just send them like a nice message. I appreciate what you're doing or, you know, thank you for this. I have been trying to do this as I have just felt like more and more kind of like the world closing in. And it really makes a difference um, personally. And a couple of the people that I've sent things to have said that you know, basically they're not getting any anything nice from anyone. So um, that's also a lift for them. Mm. So I'm just recommending that you make a real effort this week to just say something nice to someone at random. Yeah. And partially because like when we're out and about in life, you had all these opportunities to do that. Like I would see people and be like, those are great shoes or, mm. you know, like I love your hair. Like there's there's none of that. And I felt like that fed me as well as hopefully the person I was genuinely saying that to. So I think there are ways to do that online and um, or by text or whatever, email or just in your own home. So I'm recommending to do something nice, anything nice, just, you know, <laughs> make the world a tiny bit better. <laughs> That's um, very well, sweet. I will <laughs> grudgingly say something nice to my children. <laughs> You know, anything I can do to make their lives better, Dan. (laughs) Well, that's it for our show. And one last time, if you want us to weigh in on your conundrums, just email us at slate.com or post to the Slate Parenting Facebook group. Just search for Slate Parenting. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us out and make sure that you never miss an episode. And while you're there, we'd love it if you rate and review the show. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. For Dan Coyce and Carvel Wallace, I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.